the Emerging Markets Equities Podcast by Aberdeen. Hello, everybody. This is Nick Robinson from Aberdeen, and you're listening to the Emerging Markets Equity Podcast, the show that explores the factors that underpin our thinking on emerging markets. We ask our expert guests the big questions from key individuals to evolving trends, all with the goal to identify and profit from opportunities in the region. So one of the challenges of EM investing is just how volatile country returns can be each year. And last year was no different. On one side, you had China, where we pretty much saw investors throw in the towel on the various difficulties they face, including the weak economy, the sluggish property market and the like. And then meanwhile, on the other, you had countries like Mexico and Taiwan, which have been bolstered by some of the big EM themes this year, like nearshoring and AI. Today, we're going to talk about one of those countries at the upper end in terms of returns, India. So India did pretty well last year on the back of a strong economy with reopening momentum, as well as easing political risk towards the end of the year. However, it also stands out as being one of the more expensive emerging markets. So it's really not that cheap to get exposure to the stable and growing democracy. So to discuss today what's going on in the country and how we should think about investing there, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, James Tom, who has recently returned from India on an investment trip. James is based in Singapore. And amongst other things, James runs our India focused funds. So he's very close to what's happening on the ground. James, thanks for joining today. It's great to have you on. Thanks, Nick. Great to be with you and um, always a pleasure to talk about India. Oh, brilliant. Well, let's uh, let's get started. And I think this feels like a particularly timely time to have a, a podcast on India, given how the performance of the country really rocketed in the last quarter of the year. Um, so you just got back from India. Why don't we start there? And perhaps you could tell us a bit about the mood of corporates and what they're saying about the current environment. Yeah. So the, the first thing I'd say is that Indian corporates tend to be kind of glass half full types uh, rather than uh, glass half empty. Uh, And so uh, generally are uh, a fairly bullish bunch. And and as a fund manager, it's wise to sometimes kind of temper your enthusiasm uh, somewhat around that. But having said that, um, on this trip, uh, it was a very bullish tone uh, to the discussions that we had with corporates across both Mumbai and uh, and in Delhi, um, you know, even more kind of constructive and positive than normal, I would say. So it's uh, the mood is bright, uh, and that really is quite a stark contrast to the to the rest of the world, as we know. Um, and, and why is that? Well, I, I, it's a reflection of the the growth and the opportunities that these companies. Uh, and management teams are seeing in India at the moment. And and I think just to put that into context, um, before the pandemic, India had been through a number of years of kind of subpar growth, and it was just getting back to a a better rate of growth in 2019. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. Um, So now it's sort of playing catch up, I think. And uh, and we're seeing that accelerating uh, economic growth story come through quite strongly. Okay, that's that's great. And uh, yeah, it was particularly striking how India had a, a really tough pandemic. I, I remember we did a podcast around that time and it was, you know, I recall what a tough time it was for the country. But then um, you tell us a bit about politics. I mean, 2024 is a, a pretty big election year in emerging markets and India as the largest democracy is a, is a fairly key one. 
you know, Modi seems to remain popular, but to me as an outsider, it looks like, you know, as a prime minister that's been around for a while, his reform agendas may be getting a bit tired. Yes, I mean, I, I guess that's a, a fair comment. Um, he is now in his second term and, and running for a third term in office. And um, earlier in his kind of administration, we saw some very big bang reforms. Um, and, and those have um, those have have not been um, coming through in recent years. So that uh, is maybe why there's this sort of perception that it's uh, the reform agenda is getting a little tired. Um, having said that, I, I think that, you know, part of the reason that we've got such a sort of buoyant and positive corporate mood uh, in India at the moment um, and a sort of positive outlook on growth is thanks to the reforms that uh, Modi put in place early in his, um, you know, his, uh, during his first term in office. Um, and that's now providing a, a kind of base for growth. So things like the goods and services tax, for example, um, you know, now are helping drive tax collections in India way ahead of expectations. Um, that in turn gives the government more spending power. And they are using that at the moment to particularly spend on infrastructure and of course, infrastructure is uh, critical to sort of underpinning economic growth and bringing down logistics costs and so on, and providing, as I say, that kind of base for for growth. So, so I think uh, that's been important. And I, and I think also, you know, yes, the the pandemic was tough for India, as you said, particularly in the early phases. But again, in contrast to the West, we saw India maintain. Um, monetary and fiscal discipline through the pandemic in contrast to much of the West. And, and so we haven't now seen the high levels of inflation that we are seeing uh, elsewhere in the world. And that's meant that India's not had to raise rates aggressively. Uh, and again, that provides a sort of more conducive backdrop for, for economic growth. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that about the, the monetary and fiscal discipline. I think that's a, a pretty strong story around all emerging markets at the moment in terms of you know, emerging markets now being able to, to lower rates and you know, fiscal balances are in a much more healthy position versus developed markets. Um, yeah, Maybe if we could you know, just broaden out a little bit, as I, as I mentioned in the outset, it's been really striking the divergence between India and China in the last couple of years. And certainly you know, what you're saying about the tone you're getting from corporates is is quite different from some of the the tone we're getting from Chinese corporates, and certainly investor perception of China is is pretty poor at the moment. Yeah, you know, why do you think there's been this uh, big divergence? What's your what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean there really is a very striking contrast uh, at the moment, and in many senses, I think kind of China and India are the mirror image of of one another. Um, so if you think about China's um, issues and woes at the moment. You know, it's a combination of slowing growth, a beleaguered property sector, weak consumer sentiment, and a reluctance, really, by the the government to press on the pedal of kind of infrastructure spending and, and more debt to, to kind of stimulate the economy, as they have done so many times in the past. Um, given concerns about high debt levels, in contrast, India. You know, you've got accelerating growth and, and the last quarter's GDP came in uh, ahead of estimates and that's driving 
uh, upgrades to GDP forecasts now. You've got a booming property sector, particularly in the kind of residential property um, segment at the moment. Uh, the consumer sentiment is is healthy, uh, particularly in the kind of urban and metro areas, maybe a little less so in, in the sort of rural economy, but, um, but very strong in urban areas. And as I've said, you've got this accelerating kind of public sector spend on on infrastructure so it, it is the it, the contrasting view uh, I, the only other point i would make um is is the geo geopolitics are obviously different as well um and so whilst china and the u.s have been at loggerheads for some years now um the u.s i think it, you know in a classic kind of balance of power game is looking to india as a as a sort of balancing force against uh, uh, China and so has been kind of cozying up uh, to uh, to to India. Yeah, and on the geopolitics, I suppose you know one of the impacts of the changing or the the geopolitics dynamic between the US and China has been these changing supply chain dynamics that we've talked a bit about in the past on this podcast like nearshoring and and friendshoring. Has that had much impact on India? Yes, it has. Um, I mean, I would say it's still at a uh, more nascent stage, perhaps. So, I mean, as I said, the US and the West more generally have been trying to kind of cozy up to to India as a sort of counterweight to, to China uh, geopolitically. That has naturally led to a pickup in foreign direct investment uh, flows. Um, this sort of theme around supply chain diversification and a, and a desire by multinational companies to reduce or diversify the risk uh, they've, they've historically had on China by finding alternative manufacturing centers. So India is, has been one of the beneficiaries of that um, and has been actively chasing that um, opportunity. They've um, implemented something called the Production Linked Incentive Scheme, uh, and that's achieved quite a bit of success uh, so this is providing kind of tax breaks and subsidies and so on to attract um, multinationals uh, to India to manufacture, uh, and they've they've had success particularly in the smartphone sector. So app, the, the Apple supply chain has, to a large extent, um, replicated what they had in China uh, in India as well now, and they're trying to do similar sorts of things in in other sectors. And anecdotally, we're also seeing multinational companies now increasingly set up what what are called global capability centers in India and moving a lot of their kind of back office functions to India to take advantage of the the kind of highly skilled but but comparatively cheaper labor uh, in in India all of which is you know helping support job creation and and manufacturing uh in India which is uh, which is a big positive as uh, there are, given the young demographic, there's an awful lot of jobs that need to be created over the coming years, and, and manufacturing historically has not been a, a great strength of India's. Yeah, that's great. I think we're all kind of familiar with uh, Indian call centres and and uh, and how well they work. Um, you know, I suppose one one part of the capex story, at least in in China, that still remains you know, really exciting is is the green economy and, and renewables and China's position in. The value chain for for various parts of of those um, those kind of transition type companies. Yeah, how investable is is that theme in India? So there's a lot going on uh, in India in, within sort of green economy and renewables at the moment. Um, we saw at the COP 
26 in Glasgow, India make a kind of surprise commitment to be net zero by 2070. Um, and, and I say a surprise because India you know, obviously is a large developing economy and one that's historically and currently is still heavily reliant on, on thermal power. Uh, so it's got an awful lot of work to do to achieve that. But um, already they've set some uh, nearer term targets around the extent of renewable energy generation that they want to have in place by 2030. And that in turn means that India has now one of the large, got one of the largest renewable energy expansion plans in the world. Um, they're also now, I think, the third largest uh, market globally for solar uh, photo- photovoltaic capacity. Uh, so this is uh, an exciting area. There's a lot of growth there. I think the challenge for public market investors such as ourselves is finding ways of playing that through the listed market. There's not an awful lot that's um, kind of uh, listed, not an awful lot of companies that are listed in India that that are a sort of direct play on this. Having said that, within our portfolios, we have one um, solar and wind uh, plant operator. Um, and then we're also looking at this sort of uh, indirectly. So we have a, um, a number of industrial sort of capital goods uh, companies that are manufacturing components and equipment that feed into this theme um, and another company that's providing kind of connectivity in terms of electricity uh, transmission networks and so on uh, into uh, renewable plants so so yes um, it, it should be an interesting opportunity for for several years to come still are you seeing um, more companies come to market in in that sector in terms of the the IPO pipeline do you think it's going to be something that you know, it's, it's bigger in the in the near future in terms of an investable opportunity? So it, we are. Um, I think there's kind of two areas um, where we've seen a lot of IPO activity over the last couple of years. Um, one is um, in kind of the internet space, the digital space, um, and my prediction is that the India market is going to be, that the India stock market is going to be transformed over the next decade um, uh, a, a, away from being a kind of fairly traditional industrial and sort of banks uh, led um, market to something much more dynamic and and, um, and uh, growth focused uh, with many of these digital companies um, growing very rapidly. Um, so that's one. And, and the other is this um, kind of green theme. Um, and we're seeing that in all sorts of different ways. I mean, th- there have been companies that are direct plays, uh, like the sort of solar plant operators, uh, but a number of kind of industrial companies coming to market that are playing in that uh, value chain playing in that supply chain whether it's in you know providing uh, green chemicals or uh, clean energy uh, kind of gases these sorts of things so um, yes there's, there's there's definitely quite a bit of activity there if we turn it on its head a little bit and think about the the risks that are specific to India is there anything out there that you think you could is there anything out there that you think potentially could derail this story? Uh, in the in the future, I mean, there's always always risks, of course, um, and and we have the country going to uh, to into a general election. So, whilst it's very much the base case that Modi will 
win a third term and there will be continuity, um, never say never in the world of politics. Um, and in the event that um, Modi weren't to win a third term or were to lose a majority and have to sort of form a more complex um, coalition, then, then I suspect we would see the strong infrastructure spending that's been happening the last few years start to uh, moderate and taper off. So that, that's definitely a risk. I think the, you know, India is a net importer of oil. And so with oil at elevated levels, that has to be a concern for, from a sort of macroeconomic stability standpoint um, for the current account deficit, for the currency. I would say so far, India has managed that very well. And it's not, you know, we have seen continued depreciation in the Indian rupee, but, um, but it's been uh, perhaps more measured than uh, one might have expected given, given the volatility in the oil price. Um, geopolitically, you always have to be alive to uh, what's happening in Pakistan and, and the, uh, the history there. Um, and, and I think the final piece of the risk equation is to just be a, a alive to the fact that um, the US may very well be heading into a recession and we can debate whether that's a hard landing or a soft landing or whatever, but um, that will weigh on uh, certain um, important sectors within the Indian market, in particular uh, India has a very large IT services sector that uh, has the large majority of its um, uh, revenues generated in the US. So you could see uh, a slowdown there. Right. And I, I do understand those companies are finding it a little bit more challenging at the moment in that IT services space. Yes, that's true. Um, so inevitably, I think given recessionary fears and concerns in the US, we're seeing um large US companies, particularly in the banking and financial services sector, um, cut back on their uh, IT spending or, you know, reallocating that spending, uh, perhaps is closer to the truth, away from more kind of growth oriented uh, projects to things focused on kind of cost reduction and uh, efficiencies. So that has been um, a headwind for, for the IT services players in India. Yeah, thanks. And then uh, I suppose one other risk I suppose we should probably address as uh, investors in companies in India is the valuation issue. Um, you know, stocks do seem pretty expensive and I suppose history might suggest that it's quite tough to make money from buying stocks at those kind of high valuations. You know, what would you say to that? Yes, India is an expensive market. I would say it's always been expensive. Uh, it's co consistently traded at a premium to uh, to the rest of Asia and, and, and therefore to much of the rest of the world. Um, but that's because it is still, as we discussed, a, 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 an emerging, young, developing economy with a huge population and uh, a very strong long-term growth story. So in a sense, you're sort of paying today for, for that long-term growth. And, and necessarily, that means that you have to yourself take a, a long-term view, I think. Um, if we look at valuations today, it's also true that they are trading above kind of historical levels. So it's um, even more expensive than it has been given, given the better performance that the India markets delivered uh, in recent years. Um, I think we're seeing that that um, is most acute in the small and mid-cap 
part of the market which has seen a particularly strong rally this year um, and is less of an, a concern in the large cap segment of the market. Um, but but ultimately, it's you know it's true. There's not a lot of value uh, in uh, in India. I guess you're investing for growth, and um, valuation always needs to be looked at uh, alongside growth, of course. And and then you come to a judgment as to how much you're prepared to pay for that growth, and and you have to be selective. And and uh, it's becoming harder to uh, navigate that uh, in the current uh, market. Yeah. So uh, I suppose you know putting that all together. Um... You know, perhaps you could summarise where you've landed in terms of you know what you think the best opportunities in India are for 2024. So I think, despite the valuations, there are still uh, a number of attractive sectors. Uh, if we take a sort of sector lens to this, um, to be investing in, and and this is how we're positioned in our India portfolios currently. Um, so we continue to like the banking sector. You know, you can look at it as a kind of proxy for the the, the macroeconomic story that we've talked about. Um, but there's definitely a sense that we're at the you know, early-ish stages of a new credit cycle with uh, loan growth accelerating and being sustained at quite attractive levels at the moment. And um, our sense is that that's not fully priced into valuations at the moment. So that would be one. Um, we've talked already a lot about um, the infrastructure theme in India at the moment. So companies that are a play on that, I think, are seeing very robust uh, order inflow and and, uh, and revenues. And so we have a number of stocks in the portfolio that are either doing sort of engineering and construction services, or they may be you know, providing cement uh, in, into uh, all the road and airport projects and so on, or, or other kind of equipment and services. So that's a, that's a big uh, area of interest. I talked about the property sector booming in India at the moment, particularly on the residential side. So we've got a couple of residential property developers in the portfolio that, um, you know, they've been delivering phenomenal uh, pre-sales growth north of 100%, in fact, on a year-on-year basis in, in recent quarters. So that's uh, that's a third area. And I would say fourthly and, and lastly, perhaps, is, you know, this is a very much a structural long-term story for India, but but anything that's kind of domestic consumption focused and is a play on on the demographics, on the rising wealth levels, and, and in particular, I think, you know, on aspirational consumption and premiumization in India is uh, is a pretty good place to be. Great. Well, thanks for summarising all that, and thanks for thanks for uh, all the thoughts. It's been really fascinating. Perhaps we could uh, finish with a bit of a fun question. In that, I know you are in uh, Mumbai and Delhi on on your latest trip, but I'm sure you've been to plenty of places in in India. Perhaps you could tell us what your favourite places in in India and you know, where you'd always like to go back to for a holiday. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's so many. Um you know, amazing places in India. And, and part of the part of the joy of traveling around India, I think, is just the huge diversity um, that, that uh, is, is on offer there. Um, but, you know, I think if I was to pick one place that I've been to and would love to return, um, I think it, it would be the Himalayas. Um, I've been to uh, an area in in the sort of far northeast of India called Sikkim, which is up in the up in the Himalayas and is stunningly beautiful um and would happily go back there but i think on my list next would be um uh, ladakh on the sort of other side of the country but also up in the himalayas so uh, that's uh, that's next on my list 
Well, that sounds great. And I think I'll add those to my list as well. So, so thanks for those. Well, I think that's a, that's a good place to draw the podcast to a close. So yeah, thanks very much, James, for joining. No, it's been great. Thank you very much, Nick. And thanks everyone who took the time today to listen in. If you enjoyed today, then please download our other podcasts from our website or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Watch out for the next episode and tune in. Thank you for listening to the Emerging Markets Equities Podcast brought to you by Aberdeen. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and for more great content, visit Aberdeen.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.